so like if you get here it gets really loud if you're back here it's not quite so loud so like i guess when you want to talk just like lean in a little maybe that's why i'm trying to get closer like trying to get right in front of it cheeto breath to another episode of Lando's Lounge. I'm Lando. Next to me is our lovable co-host, Carson. Carso. Carso. Um, <laughs> big news. Everything that you've heard about us is true. We are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, a few other places, um, but those are the big three the main ones, podcast getting spots um eloquently put we also uploaded to youtube not the second episode yet but we're working on that it'll probably be up by the time this episode comes out so if you're the kind of person that listens to podcasts on youtube we got you covered um so today we are starting a series where we're going to watch all of the Star Wars movies and then talk about them. Mm-hmm. We'll probably do chronological order and it'll just kind of be like our thoughts on the movies, our favorite moments, new insights that we got from watching it another time. Yeah, the the highlight of this series, or I guess the goal, is to really look at these movies... Um, without any of our previous biases or thoughts and just try to experience it for the first time again and just uh, see it, how, with these new set of eyes, when looking at it, how does that compare with, you know, our previous thoughts and just try to, and we're taking you along along the journey with us. So if you, um, if you wa- listen to this series and after we cover a movie, you want to watch the movie and maybe share your opinions in any in any comments section that'd be we'd be open to reading that yeah so there's 11 movies um so we i don't know if we're gonna do all 11 of these episodes in a row maybe we'll like do a few and then do like a random episode we want to do a q a episode um where we kind of answer listener questions um like on our opinions about things or theories that we might have about things, uh, really anything. Um, So if you want to, we're on Instagram. I shared some of the links on Mm -hmm. Facebook. You can just comment, like, listener question, comma, what do you think about CO Bibble or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and as this... um, as this Q&A episode uh, comes closer, we'll probably do a more official poll on places like Facebook and Instagram, Instagram and, you know, the like. Yep. All right, so 
Last night, we watched The Phantom Menace, uh, which is the first installment of this series. We will be doing them in chronological order. Yeah, I said not, that. Oh, did not you? Not release no. order. Yeah, not release That order. would be an interesting experiment to do, release order, but um, then once it gets to the sequel trilogy, and then you have to go back and forth between like, yeah, Force be, Awakens, Rogue One, weird. that would be really strange. Like a really strange format mm-hmm. choice. So we're just going to do chronological order. Um, it's more fun that way, I think. <laughs> so, all right. Phantom Menace. Episode 1 came out in 1999. Um, much of the fan base, I think, would regard this in the lower tier of Star Wars mm-hmm. movies. Watching it again last night, what struck me is the opening of yeah. the film because like obviously audiences and i'm not included in this because i was born probably like yeah <laughs> a month before this movie came out um but I, I assume most people had seen the original trilogy and had just been like waiting when this prequel trilogy was announced to see like what the jedi were how they went about their missions and things and I think the opening of this movie was really strong, and that's something that I never, mm-hmm. like, really thought about, um, because it starts with, you know, these two mysterious cloaked figures entering a Trade Federation ship, and they are, like, sitting there, and you don't really know them, but then you find out that the younger one is Obi-Wan Kenobi, so you're immediately grounded in, uh, you know who that character eventually turns out to be from the original trilogy so you kind of get your footing and then there's battle droids and they get poisoned mm-hmm. and you the trade federation guys are these weaselly obviously up to no good uh guys and there's lightsaber action there's yeah it, cutting down droids it really gives you everything you want to see like uh ever since old ben in a new hope just talks and tells luke about the jedi knights and uh you just really have this idea of what they're like and when you see liam neeson take down his hood you're like okay let's go like uh you couldn't really choose two just cooler guys to be the jedi you had always imagined and even something about how um newt gunray acts he's like oh no there's jedi like what are we gonna do and you're just like heck yeah it just creates an atmosphere where mm -hmm. you see these jedi as like these mysterious but like just awesome awesome really awesome people especially qui-gon i think qui-gon might be my favorite jedi maybe i haven't like officialized Mm -hmm. a list of anything but Qui-Gon is definitely yeah. a really cool character. Another thing is, like, the opening, like, we're going into a new trilogy. No one really, coming off the original trilogy, no one quite knows what to expect. And other than the opening crawl, it doesn't, like, hold your hand through things. Like, it doesn't just dump exposition on you. It just, like, the opening just throws you right in, and there's action, and there's politics that you don't necessarily quite see the whole picture yet. And it just throws you right into the story without needing to, like, explain painfully everything about this new trilogy. Yeah, and it's really cool, like, they figure out that the Trade Federation is, like, trying to kill them. Mm -hmm. And they have this whole sequence where they go down this hallway 
and they try to like cut their way into the Trade Federation, and they're like, "Oh no, close the blast doors!" And then he still, <laughs> he like just stabs into the door, and it yeah. just starts melting from his lightsaber. And they're like, "We're going to die." Yeah. <laughs> Some one of the characters says something like, "We're not going to survive this." Yeah. And then obviously, battle like the Dreadicas show up, and they do this weird force run, which is never <laughs> seen again. And they just like zoom down this hallway. Yeah, and I, it was really jarring to watch. I never but also noticed really it cool. until this past last night at the time of this recording when we when we watched it. I never noticed it, and I just laughed hysterically. I was like, "What was that?" I because obvious. I we never quite see anything like that again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a blur, just a blur across the screen. Also about that on the Trade Federation ship. They stow away on the tanks, and then they go down to the planet Naboo, and that is where it kind of slows down for me, though not that much. Like, they Mm -hmm. meet Jar Jar, and then when they go to the Gungan, like, area, like, I get that the Gungans are aliens, so they, like, speak, they're speaking basic, which is the language that's basically English that most people Mm -hmm. speak in Star Wars. But they definitely have like their own words thrown in there and things, and it can it it's a li- I think it's just a little too much of this yeah, like it's, quirky dialect of basic. Yeah. It's, but it it from there I think it slows down a little bit, but then it picks back up when you go underwater and there's like the three like sea monster mm-hmm. giant. Yeah, fish. that that sequence is awesome. One thing about the Gungans, I feel like they try to um, create a race that would be lovable kind of like the ewoks but like at the end like ewoks show just how fierce they can be which is something they maybe tried to do with the gungans in this movie but it just doesn't land as much necessarily like like the comedy they try to glean out of their broken form of basic you saw in big doo-doo this time yeah like just weird stuff it's it's pretty low-hanging uh on the comedic branch i'd say like it doesn't necessarily uh it's not very intellectual comedy it's just kind of there and it get, it definitely gets kids. old yeah kids are the target audience of star wars i think but um after that like they get to naboo and i will just say naboo is maybe the prettiest of any of the star mm-hmm. wars planets we've seen um not just like design wise but like the cinematic aspect of it there's a lot of like really wide shots i've noticed in the prequels a lot actually there's a lot of like wide shots which is really interesting because they're using so much like green screen technology but george lucas was like yeah show them the whole yeah the whole city (laughs) in one shot like there's so many shots where like qui-gon's Full body is in the sh- is in the frame, mm-hmm. so the camera must be some distance away or using a really wide lens. And Liam Neeson is not a short guy no, no, at all, no. <laughs> so it's like there's a, I'm sure there was an easier way to film this, but George Lucas is very technological advancement kind of guy, very mm-hmm. much like James Cameron, although the two of them kind of go about it in different ways. But George Lucas was very interested in i think the green screen element yeah and jar jar binks is actually the first fully cg character and i think a common um sentiment 
is that Jar Jar Binks walked so that Smeagol could run mm-hmm. because <laughs> the Lord of the Rings came out after this. Uh, Phantom Menace and it used kind of the same mocap technology, but Jar Jar Binks was actually the first to do it. And you can kind of tell because the like the texturing and the CG doesn't always look too mm-hmm. good. Um, I think there's a case to be made that a special edition of the prequels should be released, kind of how they did with the original trilogy, but I don't think people would be as upset if they yeah. went back to the prequels and updated the CG. Yeah, like going along with these these wide shots showing like a great deal of the the terrain of the planet, especially on Naboo, there's not much texturing and like the landscape and there's like the city looks all, you know, well, well I think good, the city but... might actually have been filmed on location in like Italy or mm-hmm. something. Not I don't think like the super wide shots are like yeah. where it shows the entire cityscape from like a drone shot. I mean, it's obviously yeah, not a drone, and, but that's what it looks and like. And also, a lot of the the kind of bigger set pieces for Phantom Menace are miniatures, mm-hmm. uh, miniature uh, sets. So some of it looks good, and some of it just you. I mean, you can tell when it's. You can tell it's from the '90s. Yeah. Even I mean, though it's the end of the 90s, you can tell. I mean, you can't really hold it against them too much, but it's definitely... Um, you got to give George Lucas props for trying. He He's not the type to um, let the limitations of technology, you know, inhibit his vision. So even if something were more experimental, like having a, a completely CGI character, whether it necessarily turns out super good or not, I feel like if that's what he feels will best interpret and display his vision i feel like he's the one to to make the move and obviously he's been doing that since a new hope and only good things have come out of it for Mm -hmm. the filmmaking industry as a whole and i think the phantom menace looks different from the other two prequels and i think part of that is because i believe they filmed phantom menace on film and the other two on digital which digital was like really new um for attack of the clones it was like super new and so i think phantom menace being shot on film and attack the clones and revenge of the sith being on digital it creates this interesting aesthetic for phantom menace (laughs) that it looks like really different in a way that's hard to explain i think the color palette also has something to do with that which is something that we talked about while we were watching yeah the color palette isn't that like attractive to look at it's really or diverse really it's it's a lot of like brown and like earthy reds Mm -hmm. and oranges and i made the comment that it seems like someone should have upped the saturation because you know padme's outfits and like the naboo uh like pilots were orange and the naboo starfighters are yellow and if they had just upped the saturation of the color a little bit i think they would have popped and it would have looked a lot more regal and that it would have looked a lot, I think, nicer and less muted. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like when they go to Tatooine, I think it is supposed to be kind of muted and everything's supposed to kind of be brown and dull. Yeah, but that even reflects in the in the wardrobe, uh, the wardrobe choices as well. Like, yeah, it's more it, they get away with it more in the Tatooine scenes. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But. I- I want to yeah. I want to quickly run back to something else you said about Liam Neeson not being a short a short man. I read somewhere just the other day actually that they spent they did not take 
Liam Neeson's height into account, and they spent a lot of money reconstructing doorways yeah, for Liam Neeson that. to walk through. Yeah. Which, I mean, I just saw that on a non-reliable. Yeah, I, I've heard that before, I've too. Seen, I've seen that a couple places, where. none of them super reliable, but, yeah, I, I mean, if so, that's but... just a fun little anecdote. Yeah. Um, something else that really struck me was that the movie is not about Anakin at all. Mm -hmm. Anakin's just kind of like a happenstance that happens. The movie is about Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan trying to help the queen of this planet. And then Anakin just happens to show up and it just happens to start this prequel trilogy. But if Anakin had never showed up, this would just be like an average Mm -hmm. mission. So I thought that was really interesting that like the stars of the movie are Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor. And then Liam Neeson is just out after this movie. And then, like, the stars becomes... Like, the star of the prequel trilogy doesn't get (laughs) his star... He doesn't become the star until the second movie in the thing. Like, Hayden Christensen doesn't become the star until episode two. He's not even in episode one. So that was something else that interested me. Plus... Uh, we watched it on Disney Plus, so we got when we we paused it at one point to like see how far we were into it, and it was like right after the pod race, or like a little bit after the pod race, and we were halfway through the movie, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know why, but I always thought the pod race was like towards the end of the movie, yeah, no. and it's before the halfway mark, and I was like, whoa, this is I a d- long movie. <laughs> I do not remember like the sequence of events as well as I thought I did. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe my favorite part of the prequels is that they introduce all these like new Jedi and they introduce the Jedi Order as it was. And I think the Jedi Council in this uh, movie, like there's a few sequences where they're in the Jedi Council chamber and like there's all these cool looking Jedi in the background. There's like Plo <laughs> Koon and uh, Ki-Adi Mundi who... Have bigger who have who have bigger <laughs> roles, but then there's like the way smaller, lesser known mm-hmm. ones like Yaddle, who's basically female Yoda, mm-hmm. and Apoorancisis, who's like a snake with a furry head. And there's just really like interesting, cool-looking aliens, even though they don't do anything at all. Yeah, and I, I just love that about the prequels, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing. I kind of was thinking about this movie while we were watching it. Now, The Force Awakens kind of caught some flack for being too similar to A New Hope when it came out. People felt like it was trying to just repeat a lot of the same plot beats. And I found when I was watching this that it feels like George Lucas was not necessarily trying to copy A New Hope, but he was trying to capture a lot of the same a lot of the same feel i think like mm-hmm. from the sequence at the end where anakin blows up the trade federation yeah. ship like obviously that's like a direct parallel to luke blowing up the death star you have anakin kind of as like this kid with with big dreams you know kind of like luke and also just things from a new hope or even the original trilogy as a whole that like when you see them i imagine for the first time watching this movie it's like the rick dalton meme where he's like snaps and points yeah. at the screen like when you see the tuscan raiders you're just like oh mm-hmm. shoot when you see jabba you're like oh yeah. shoot and it's not like he's trying to 
cram. He was like, nostalgia, take it. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just he's just sprinkles in familiar aspects, which really grounds this new prequel trilogy into the world of the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. So you really feel like it can be a cohesive and just kind of exist in the same space. Yeah, I love Tuscan Raiders a lot. Um it's fascinating to me that like they go to Tatooine even though like they don't I don't think it's even most Isley. It's a completely different mm-hmm. town. So they're like we'll go to Tatooine but we won't go to the same town. So they're like they easily could have mm-hmm. and they could have like done so much more like nostalgia pushing but they don't so it's like that's a really cool thing that they do didn't want to ride the coattails of the original but just make it make it similar enough to where it feels like star wars but also just exploring new things and continuing to build the world Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think introducing darth maul obviously is he's a fan favorite Mm -hmm. and I mean, they kill him at the end, but if you've watched Clone Wars... Yeah. According to Dave Filoni, he was just approached one day by George Lucas, and he was like, I'm thinking we should probably bring Darth Maul back. (laughs) And Filoni's just like, well, you killed him. Like, what am I supposed to do? So, I always found Darth Maul great in this movie, and the double-bladed lightsaber. I think they ruined that. They put it in the trailer the double-bladed lightsaber like imagine if they didn't put that yeah that's that's what i was thinking too in the trailer because for some reason i had it in my mind that he used it the first time he fought qui-gon when they're fleeing tatooine but i when i was watching this i was like huh i guess he didn't so i was thinking how awesome must that have been for people going into it who didn't know so i mean they already see darth maul fight in for those who haven't seen the trailer, it doesn't even occur to them that double-bladed lightsabers could be a thing. Yeah. So that'd just be... Man, I wish I could be in a theater experiencing that for the first time, but yeah. alas, I was not born. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was unborn at the point. Yeah. Um. What's also cool is that they introduced the planet Coruscant in this movie, and, like, the shots on Coruscant look really cool. Like, there's the ones where... It's like the sun is setting in the background and there's like all the speeders in the air mm-hmm. and all the buildings. There's some really like pretty shots in the movie. And um, there's one in particular that I saw it and I was like, wow, I've never noticed that shot before. And it's when like the droids are storming into the city feed on Naboo and uh, the queen is looking out a window and you see her from kind of like a back angle, but like it's from the side also mm-hmm. and she's looking at a face. window and so there's like this dark hallway leading up to light coming through a window and then the queen is standing there in this like regal uh if not like her weird hair apparel yeah. and it's, it's just really like a pretty shot so I, I i was very impressed watching this again and noticing kind of the cinematography they do even if a lot of it is like using miniatures or mm-hmm. green screen type um things um, one other thing is, you know, some of the most iconic characters in the Star Wars um, canon is probably like C-3PO and R2-D2, and both of them are introduced in this movie, and we see kind of their origin, and I 
it can't be what anyone was expecting. Like, no one could have guessed that Anakin had built C-3PO. And I always found R2-D2's entrance into the Phantom Menace, like, pretty unceremonious. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like he just kind of is there, and then he saves the ship from... He reboots the shields when they're fleeing from the Federation blockade. And all the and, other little astromechs yeah. just get blown yeah, out of the sky. Yeah, just blown out of the sky. So I was like, how weird that, like, R2-D2 was just, just a royal droid you know and i always thought found it weird especially when i was younger that like he worked for on the royal naboo ship and then like he never did again like they just, just took left. him with him <laughs> like it's interesting though because luke kind of inherits c-3po and r2d2 and they kind of they are both originate with one of his parents mm-hmm. that's interesting i didn't even think of that until just now but yeah, that's that's interesting. And then they obviously go on and see the entire uh, yeah the, the entire, entire Star saga. Wars story. Um, so Darth Sidious, I was watching this and I said to you, I wonder if anyone knew that Palpatine was Sidious. But that <laughs> was a really stupid Silly. thing to say because. He is the same actor that played the Emperor in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And they definitely they like at the end of the movie when they're at Qui-Gon's funeral, they Yeah, it wasn't Mace very... Windu and Yoda have a conversation where they're like, It's no mystery that the Sith or that the uh warrior that Qui-Gon fought was a Sith. And then Yoda's like, Hmm, always two there are uh Master and Apprentice and then Mace is like but who was killed, the master or the apprentice? And then it just cuts then, to then it Palpatine just shows Palpatine standing menacingly like, ominously, in the firelight. Ominously lit ominous by the music. firelight, yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, I don't think they were really on the nose. <laughs> yeah, and they, I mean... They were just, they weren't hiding it, I don't think. I mean, I feel like that's the point, that shot, is when you're like, oh, that's why it's called the Phantom Menace. <laughs> like, yeah, because you're like hiding. I mean, in there are other parts where it's not... Um, he and like when they show City is talking, it's literally just Ian McDermott's voice. So yeah, it's, like it's not. It's not hidden. It yeah, was a dumb thing of me to say. It but. was. It's kind of like the whole Clark Kent Superman thing, where people are always like, "It's ridiculous that they can't notice him because the only thing that changes is his glasses. The only thing that changes between seeing." Uh, Palpatine and seeing Sidious is you just don't see you see below the eyes but yeah. you can very clearly hear and see yeah in the audience that they're the same person and so, this movie kind of is the beginning of Sidious's plan where he kind of becomes chancellor basically the president mm-hmm. of the galaxy and from there he's going to start his plan to become the emperor and I would just like to say Valorum deserves justice, yeah. <laughs> okay? Valorum got Because played. think about how ridiculous it is, how strange this gal- galactic politics is, that Queen Amidala is not a part of the Senate. Not a member, no. She's not anything. She just controls the planet Naboo, but she can go to the Galactic Senate as like a guest appearance and say, I demand a new leader of the Senate, <laughs> yeah. and then they vote on it (laughs) they vote on it instantly like in a matter of a day or something exactly it's like imagine if like the 
British Prime Minister came to America and is like, I would like to, you to vote for a new president. And they're like, yeah. okay. And then they just vote <laughs> they someone just else vote. into office that day. Yeah. Like, are, that is strange way for politics there, to work. There are a couple weird things about this galactic senate. Um, it's one, a very cool like yeah. scene with all the little floating things with all the different mm -hmm. aliens. And I think if you look closely, you can see like E.T. has... Like, there's a little, mm -hmm. one of those pods that has uh, two of the species of E.T. in there. There's just, like, a little Easter egg, because George Lucas and Spielberg yeah. are friends, but... And one thing that, this goes in the Clone Wars, too, you see a lot of this, is you never realize how whack the Senate is. Like, I always thought, how just ridiculous and corrupt is it that <laughs> they give the they give the trade federation one of the biggest if not the biggest company or business in this star wars world a seat in the government <laughs> like that is ridiculous it's like if amazon had a seat at the un like, <laughs> and i'm sure amazon does have some push or pull in the government but no formal power yeah no, no. formal it's power a, it's probably it's like hey it's, don't do that. <laughs> like they can spot, they can like donate money however they like, and they can, you know, raise money from constituents and whatnot. But they yeah, can't. It's like like imagine, they don't directly vote on issues. Imagine if just if Jeff Bezos could show up in the U.S. Congress and say, and, "Let's get a new president," and then they vote on it. Yeah, like he, that's so strange yeah, that is, to think about. But who knows? The system is corrupt. That's the whole point. Yeah, and also I always thought it was weird that. Camino was also had a seat because although Camino at least is a planet and not just a business, I mean there's not a lot of people there. They also weren't in it before, like they aren't they weren't part of the republic, and they're approaching it as we're giving you, like basically they're just there to vote on things that create more clones and give more money. Which is there's a like a one or two episode arc about that in the Clone Wars. And I'm just like, you know what? This is whack. This, <laughs> and yeah. ever since the Phantom Menace, we've known the Galactic Senate was whack and not just yeah. It's, it's a corrupt weird. System. It's definitely a corrupt. Anyways, system. justice for Chancellor Valorum. Mm -hmm. He did not deserve to be thrown out of power for no reason at all. Um. So, what do you think about like Padme's? kind of story in this movie because i find it really interesting like so padme there's two books that are out by ek johnson there's queen's shadow and then the prequel queen's peril and so i haven't read either of them yet because i bought queen's peril but don't have queen's shadow yet <laughs> and uh i want to read the i want to re read them in release order rather than chronological order um so i'm waiting for queen's shadow until like next payday and i can buy it off of amazon or something yeah but um her and her handmaidens are very like it's so weird that there's like six handmaidens like how much danger is the queen in mm -hmm. before that like i get it now because the trade federation is like storming the city but like before then is there really a need for the queen to have six like body doubles yeah and another thing if it was so dangerous for them to reveal that padme was actually the queen i always thought it was weird when they're on tatooine and uh 
What's Captain Typho? No, that's the one from the second Panaka. One. Panaka. I think Typho's like yeah. a relative of his. He's like, um, the queen wants you to send this handmaiden with you to explore the land. <laughs> and then Qui-Gon's like, well, it's dangerous. And then I'm like, yeah, it is dangerous. So why would they send the actual queen <laughs> exactly. and not an actual handmaiden? Yeah, really. Like that was always... Unless she's the... like, I want to go. And they're like, you can't do that. It's dangerous. Yeah. She's like, I'm the queen. And they're like, I guess I can't and argue. All, yeah, also one thing... I. I always wondered, you know, not being able to see this in theaters for the very first time and just always knowing that Padme was the actual queen, I wonder if anyone figured it out before she revealed it because mm-hmm. there are a couple lines I noticed that could kind of be hinting towards They definitely towards linger it. on her. And so, yeah, I was watching that too. There's a few shots where they, like, linger on her or her face is, like, more in focus mm-hmm. than the one who's acting as the queen so it's to me it was like um watching this would you pick out and say oh i bet she's the actual queen yeah or would you say she isn't the queen but she is more important and there's like a scene where um she's like in her like handmaiden outfit but she's like at a communications kind Mm -hmm. of uh tech thing on the ship and i was like if i didn't know that she was the queen i might think that she was going to like sabotage this mission or something because like it's just very strange that they're focusing on this one handmaiden Mm -hmm. instead of the queen but obviously knowing that um changes the entire view of the movie but i i think it's really cool at the end when uh the like they're meeting with the gungans and boss nas and they're like we would like to discuss a treaty or whatever and then it's someone else acting as the queen and then padme's standing next to them in the handmaiden garb and then she steps forward and she's like no actually i'm the queen and you deserve like to speak to the queen directly rather than just a body Mm -hmm. double and there's a funny uh thing where (laughs) qui-gon and obi-wan kind of look at each other and like have this look on their face like one of them one of them just lost a bet. Yeah. And I like, was like thinking the whole time, like, does Qui-Gon know? Like, is he fooled by this? Like, he does he just sense what's going on? Because mm-hmm. he's like he says something to them when when he when Padme wants to go with them into Tatooine. He's like, It's dangerous and he's like, It's as the Queen says or something and he says something about the Queen and I was like does he know? Because that seemed yeah. very like directed yeah. at her, as he's if he like, knows. Yeah, at I one forget point, what the line is. At but one I point, it, I he's like, huh. like, "The queen trust my judgment," and then she's like, like "Yeah, okay." And then, <laughs> yeah, I think and then at it. another point, she's like, "So you bet our ship on this little boy or something?" And then he says something. And then she's like, "The queen wouldn't approve." Oh, that's what it is. He says, "The queen wouldn't approve." And then he's like, the queen trusts my judgment. And then he like walks away and she goes, I don't approve. (laughs) And I was like, see, it's stuff like that where it could just be, it could just be just her being a little bit of a... Yeah, to characterize her, to kind of make her seem kind of... At at other times, like when you know... I don't think she's annoying. Like when you know, you could see that maybe it's a bit pointed. Like you might be, like, I don't know. I'm just genuinely curious if anyone figured it out or not before seeing it and another thing about their meeting with the gungans when she steps out as queen 
it's not very convincing either. Like, how do yeah, they no. know? How do she they know she's forward. telling the truth? She's just like, nope, I'm the queen. Like, I would have trouble believing that. As yeah, the, I'd be like, uh, are like, what's... Okay. Especially being very untrusted, like, not trusting of the Naboo. They're like, okay, this is weird. What, something's going on here. Like, yeah. I feel like they were very quick to to believe yeah. them. And, I mean, it worked out for them because it did turn out to be true. Also, it's kind of unfortunate because the actor who plays Anakin and the Natalie Portman who plays Padme, I believe Anakin's uh, actor is Jake Lloyd, um, but he looks a lot younger than mm-hmm. he's supposed to be. Well, maybe not. He, I think he's supposed to be nine, but she's supposed to be like 14 or something, and she just looks a little older. So yeah. like the age gap between them in Phantom Menace looks really big uncomfortable <laughs> but in episode two it doesn't look that different because it's she, obviously she's the same but he's a new actor who's old yeah and the thing is she like natalie portman doesn't look very different from the phantom menace so that just makes yeah. you think back at yeah, the phantom so, menace and be like that age gap is just weird it's just and it is a few years but it's not like like nine to 14 is only like five years yeah that's so it's not, not it's not like ridiculous it's not like 10 years or something yeah. like that it's but def- it's like the age gap definitely is perfectly yeah. she's fine not in like attack 18 of the clones. Yeah. hitting on someone half her age yeah they're only a few years different and they don't really start to like actually fall in love yeah until thank, episode two. thank god that would be <laughs> very uncomfortable yeah but i think that catches a lot of flack and it's just i think it's just an unfortunate result of the casting because mm-hmm. i think their ages look slightly different than they're actually supposed to be um but uh back to the gungans i love the battle scene like mm-hmm. the end of this movie is so cool because it jumps between the gungans fighting the droids on the fields and then anakin accidentally in space destroying the <laughs> yeah. space station and then the maybe the best fight in star wars at least one of them maybe we should do an episode where we like rank Mm -hmm. lightsaber fights but i think this one is up there because it's qui-gon and obi-wan versus darth maul and there's four blades and there's three fighters and i think it's just awesome do you want to talk about that fight yeah i mean the one thing i'll say about the prequel fights as a whole although a lot of them are cool also a lot of them it's just a lot of spinning and flourishes and things that don't necessarily seem necessary but i feel like this one is a lot more grounded and gritty i feel like it's like it reminds me of a fight from the original trilogy but with just more mm -hmm. going on rather than like the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan, which is also really cool. Yeah. But there's a moment good. there's a moment in that fight where for like two seconds they're just standing in front of each other, swinging their swords, not hitting each other, just doing a weird yeah. flourish thing, and then they hit the them. Annie Obi, dude. Yeah. <laughs> they like swing it. Yeah. It's yeah really but... weird. This fight doesn't have a lot of that mm-hmm. like extra stuff, but it is also really choreographed well yeah like in obviously people rave about ray park and it's just because he brings such a physicality to the role like just he i mean he just looks like he wants to kill them you know that and the music yeah duel of the fates is maybe the best 
Star Wars music. Yeah, and I also said this when we were watching it. Um, I said I really love that Star Wars actually teaches the actors to do the fights. Like, they don't... Like, you can very clearly see... They have see, stunt doubles, yeah, but you, there's a lot of shots where, like, you can you see can the t- actor's You face, can very so it well has to tell. Be like, and there are a lot of behind-the-scene videos of, like, Ewan McGregor and um, Hayden Christensen practicing yeah. their moves and stuff. And I was just like, it always... Because they can get away with doing stunt doubles at some parts, mm-hmm. but, like, it's really grounding and just awesome. The worst thing for me is when... If you look a little hard, you can tell it's not the actor. Yeah. So they really do incorporate that seamlessly. And obviously, with Ray Park, him coming from a stunt doubling background, like there's really no need for Mm -hmm. them to get a stunt double for him. So that's always been something that's held up, that it's, you know, always him and he always looks like Darth Maul. Yeah. There's a funny anecdote from the set where Ewan McGregor, well, first of all, they would, like, have to say, hey, stop actually hitting the blades together because you're breaking all of them. <laughs> yeah. And then Ewan McGregor would always make the lightsaber noises when they were fighting. Like, he'd go... <laughs> 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 well, and they were like, can you please stop, <laughs> stop doing, doing that? Doing that. <laughs> and I, in The Last Jedi, um, Laura Dern, who played Admiral Holdo, you can see... When she she do, when there's the mutiny and then she turns around with her gun and she stuns the resistance goes, guys that are keeping her, you can see her mouth go pew pew, <laughs> and it's like she had that same problem but with a blaster. Like, and I think that's hilarious. I would be the exact yeah, same. How could you not? You know, especially <laughs> I'd be like. <laughs> I mean, I know that for a fact because that's what I do. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but no, that fight is awesome. And uh, you watched the Mandalorian documentary where yeah. dave filoni they did like a round table and he was talking about the importance of that fight scene i don't know why it was in a documentary about the mandalorian but it was awesome and he was talking about that fight scene and he's like it's called the duel of the fates because anakin's fate is on the line mm-hmm. and like if qui-gon survives the fight then he will become anakin's master and he'll lead him down the right path but if Qui-Gon dies and Darth Maul like wins, then Anakin yeah. Anakin's master won't be Qui-Gon because Qui-Gon is the one who kind of takes an interest in uh, in Anakin. Nobody else really wants to train mm-hmm. him. Obi-Wan just does because Qui-Gon asks him to as he's dying and he's not going to say, no, master. <laughs> but um, that's that was really interesting to me because I never like thought yeah. about Duel of the Fates. Well, who's what is the... It just sounds like a cool name for a score. It just sounds cool, but it actually is very important to the story. Yeah. Um, And it's the worst part of the movie, and it kills me every time when Qui-Gon dies. Mm -hmm. Because he's, like I said, he's like one of my favorite characters. And he's just so cool because he's kind of a Jedi that doesn't put up with the other Jedi even if all of them are against what he's saying, he's like, no, I'm right, and you just don't see it. And then he dies, and it was like, ugh. It yeah. hurts every time. Yeah, I've also wondered if that, if the outcome of that fight may have had other ramifications in the world. Like, I, there's this one almost throwaway line in there that I always think is weird, 
but it like nothing ever amounts to it and if anakin he finds out like they're dining in their hut or whatever and he finds out qui-gon's a jedi and he's talking and then anakin says something like i had a dream where i came back and i freed all the slaves and it like we like a little bit after that we hear qui-gon say it was like he sees things before they happen it's a, it's why he has reflexes it gives him jedi traits and he also says like he's the chosen one like he's so strong with the force and i always thought like maybe if qui-gon had survived and he had trained under qui-gon like maybe that was like a vision of like maybe he actually did do that you know because like if qui-gon survived he yeah. would have freed all the yeah slaves. maybe that's something that could have happened and another thing i thought was well remember in attack of the clones he does come back and he's trying to free his mother mm-hmm. and maybe like if qui-gon had trained him that would have happened but he would have come back and freed the slaves but instead yeah. he comes back and slaughters the t- tuscan yeah. raiders and that kind of furthers him down the dark side so that is an interesting thing I didn't pick up on. Yeah, and another thing, I always wondered if, you know how you said, like, Qui-Gon is more defiant of, like, the Jedi and um, Dooku and Qui-Gon, I mean, Dooku trained Qui-Gon, right? Mm-hmm. So I always wondered, maybe if Qui-Gon had survived, would Dooku have turned to the dark side or not? Would he have fallen is another thing that I wondered. Well, and we'll talk about this probably <laughs> yeah. when we do attack the clones but dooku even uses that against obi-wan he's like your master would have joined me that's not what he says but Mm -hmm. basically and then obi-wan's like qui-gon would have never joined you but i think qui-gon did have that kind of rebellious streak and there's all right i'm gonna plug the books again because the (laughs) books are good there's two books that you should read well one of them is an audio drama so you can actually listen to it or you can buy the book which is written like a script and it's really cool and it's called Dooku Jedi Lost, and it's about Dooku leaving the Jedi Order because he kind of feels the dark side pulling on him, and he also finds out that his family is, like, the leaders of the planet Sereno because he's Count Dooku. Mm-hmm. So he leaves to become the Count of his planet. And then there's a book called Master and Apprentice, which is, like, my favorite Star Wars canon book that I've read, and it's about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And there's a scene in Master and Apprentice where, like, uh, they talk about Dooku as being, like, obsessed with prophecy. And, like, Qui-Gon became obsessed with prophecy because that's all Dooku ever wanted to do when the training was, like, read mm-hmm. about prophecies. And so it's interesting that, like, the two of them are really similar. However, Qui-Gon rebels against the Jedi because... He's so invested in the living force and, like, listening to what the force has to say. But Dooku is kind of, like, the, feels the dark side yeah. pulling on him and, want, like, is more connected to his family than any other Jedi. So that's really interesting to me that Qui-Gon and Count Dooku are really similar but in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Um, one more thing I'd like to say, and we were kind of on the topic of the Gungans for a while then straight and I wanted to say this I feel like there was something really interesting with the relationship between like the Gungan and the Naboo and they talk about it a little bit they're like yeah one affects the other and they don't like each other but for re- no real reason like and they 
come to realize there's a little like a very minor arc where then they're like yeah we'll be friends now and i really feel like it would have been awesome if that was explored a little more like if that if maybe the themes of that were a bit deeper because like i feel like the extreme like if there had been more extreme reactions like if it had seemed like they hated each other more towards the beginning and then it's so there's like a bigger gap to overcome it could have been like really powerful but it it just didn't it was really nothing Mm -hmm. really here's another thing about that it's interesting that they say you form a symbiont circle Mm -hmm. and then when they talk about when they tell anakin about the force they say they're midi-chlorians in your cells they are symbionts with us they're like these microscopic organisms Mm -hmm that connect us to the force and a lot of fans didn't like that yeah and then obviously there's no mention of midichlorians like afterward um and i get that because there was a lot of like pushback but i would like to say or like to try to fix the midichlorian problem for people if i can <laughs> for people i'm not saying that i'm uh an authority on this or whatever but if midichlorians is a problem and every time you hear it, you kind of cringe and think, oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> think of it this way. The Jedi are so out of touch with the living force, as Qui-Gon says, that they're, they're more focused on, like, the science of the force rather than, like, the spirituality of the force, mm-hmm. kind of. And they're like, oh, well, what is the force? And they're not, they're not good enough with, like, it's this thing that we listen to they're like we have to explain it it's this these microscopic things in your cells and that's what the force is rather than saying like we don't know but we yeah follow it so that's an interesting thing that i thought of watching this again is like the midichlorians are they exist in canon so like at Mm -hmm. some point you have to just get (laughs) over that but at the same time even if you don't like them you can say well that's just another strike against the Jedi is that they're so they're more concerned with, oh, this person has so much so many midi chlorians or whatever, they're a powerful person, rather than just letting things go and being like the chosen one will show mm-hmm. up when the chosen one shows up, not because anyone has a specific count of microscopic organisms in their cells. Yeah. That's the the one thing I feel like people most dislike about midi chlorians is how like in the original trilogy the force was some mystical thing and they made it seem like anyone could use it you know like yeah they made like it, it, it seemed like it was less special and more of like yeah but just like a, at the same time thing. i was like no one really thought that like han solo was just suddenly going to use the force or something because like i don't know i i just i'm i'm indifferent about it i don't like i like Landon said, it only appears once, really, in the entire movie canon, at least, that I'm aware of. So, it doesn't really bother me that much. I just don't care one way or the other. It's there, and it's what it is. And growing up, just always knowing that's how it was, like, I, it never really affected me one yeah. way or the other. But yeah, along with the whole the symbiont thing, like, what they're getting at there... I really feel like they could have grounded the movie in, like, an actual message, kind of, with, like, like people working together and, like, unity and stuff with the Gungans and Naboo. And although they kind of do it, it just doesn't stand out as much as I, mm-hmm. as I wish it would. But, I mean, at the same time, it's kind of futile to 
think about, oh, they didn't do this when they didn't have to. So it's not, it doesn't take away from the movie that much. Yeah. All right, with our remaining time, how about we do your favorite moment from the movie? It could be either a line or a scene or a shot or something like that. And then... I don't know if we'll do... we Maybe we'll do a whole episode later where we, like, rank mm-hmm. the movies. But, um... Just... I guess let's just do your favorite moment from the movie. My favorite moment from the movie? Hmm. It... I mean... It's probably Duel of the Fates, but if I absolutely had to submit another one, it'd probably be the pod race sequence. Hmm. See, I'm not the biggest <laughs> fan of the pod race sequence, and a lot of people are like, oh, it's the highlight of the movie because it's so cool. And I'm like, it's just a little tedious, mm-hmm. don't you think? Well, Because it's not really the main part of the story like it showcases that anakin has the force and it explains how they get their ship but i feel like it could be much shorter well it could be shorter but the length of it it gives the illusion of you watching the race in real time it is a longer sequence and you don't necessarily experience it in real time but it feels like that like you feel like you're watching the race along with everyone else in the thing. And there are, like I said, there are really awesome moments where just, like, the Tusken Raiders just come out and, like, yeah. you, and you're just like, oh, shoot, and they just start pot-shotting these, these people. And then just, like, explosions and just crashes and, I don't know, it's really awesome. I love the part where um Sabalba edges Anakin onto the service ramp and he flies way high up in the air because I always thought like there, like there are some speeder bikes and like pod racer things. I was like, can they fly? You know what I mean? <laughs> like they always seem to like hover just a little bit above the ground, and I always think it's awesome when like you see speeders like super high up or any. I don't know why. That's a very specific thing that I think is cool, but I do. So. Yeah, okay. I like seeing Aura sing right, just like for one second watching the pod race yeah. when they go through the canyon just knowing that she comes back in clone wars and mm-hmm. like has character and she's not just a random person standing mm-hmm. there i'm always like huh why is she there and yeah. then you can also see quinlan Voss when sabulba like when jar jar accidentally throws that frog at sabulba mm-hmm. basically and then you can see quinlan Voss, who also is a character from clone wars who's a jedi and it's like what did they did they just take that background character from Phantom Menace and well, turn him into a character? Yeah, that's one... It's such a weird thing that he's that's, there, yeah. and then he's also another character. That's something that George Lucas just does, and I feel like it's not <laughs> like he just has random characters, and then he's like, okay, so I need a new character, and he just watches the movie. He's like, you know what, that guy. I feel like he has these characters, because, like, a lot of their looks are very iconic. Oh, like yeah, Laura like, Singh, like no one quite looks like her. Yeah, no. You know? So I feel like it's like she, for example, is an idea that he's had and he like has a little bit of an inkling of what kind of character she is. And he just has these this bank of mm-hmm. characters. And so I think he knew that he always wanted to expand because, you know, he's been working on Star Wars since since he was a kid so he has 
he's always had ideas of how to expand and just characters that he has wanted to use. So maybe he just looked through a list of characters. He had in a notebook <laughs> with names. He was like, Orsing, we'll put her here. And then later he's like, we could use her. Like, I feel like he does. Do you hear that? I apologize that for is that. A, that is incredible. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that is. I can definitely hear it through the microphone, yeah. <laughs> though. Someone's drilling downstairs so, yeah, or something. We're, um, we're renovating anyways, our studio. <laughs> anyways, your favorite moment. Well, no, I was just going to say, I like to imagine that Quinlan Voss is hunting Orising on Tatooine. Yeah, but that'd be dope. But... That's just my own little explanation for that random inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um... My favorite scene, <laughs> um, or moment, I really like, um, at the end of the fight, the lightsaber fight, when Obi-Wan is, like, there's all those laser grid things that cross, and Obi-Wan is all the way at the end of the hallway with a bunch of them in between him and Qui-Gon, and then Qui-Gon has one in between him and Darth Maul, and so... Darth Maul is obviously, like, a Sith, and he looks very angry. And Obi-Wan's all the way at the back, like, raring to go. And then Qui-Gon's just, like, kneeling there. A mm-hmm. lot like yeah, Obi-Wan awesome. at the end of Episode Four, where he just kind of, like, lets yeah. Darth Vader kill him. And Qui-Gon's just, like, sitting there, like, completely at peace. And just, like, the difference in their character. And then, obviously, the door opens, and he's instantly back fighting uh-huh. again. And I'm like, that is so cool. And then, obviously, Obi-Wan gets stuck in the grids again, and Darth Maul kills Qui-Gon. And then Obi-Wan's like, no! Uh, There's a lot of people that just scream no in Star Wars. I mean, just in everything, too. It's just... Um, But anyways, so he kills Qui-Gon, and then... The door opens, and then Obi-Wan just comes at Darth Maul with, like, ferocity. And I I was watching it, and I was like... He's almost like dark side right yeah, now. Yeah, they throw he's like, some moves. He's mad. Like that. he is like the fight is good, but mm-hmm. like the fight between those two at that part, the choreography is really cool because it's really fast, like going back and forth, but not flourishy, and you can just feel like the emotion yeah. in it. Like they're both just angry, and also and Darth Maul just doesn't know what to do, and, and he gets also, his lightsaber cut in that. Half. In that part, I feel like. Like, um, after Qui-Gon dies, it cuts away, and then when it cuts back, he's, like, waiting for, like, the the laser shield to to pull back. And then when he does, there's just, like, no music. So you just hear, and just, oh, like, yeah. it's just, like, yeah, at that the end part, of that fight, like, the whole fight is good, but the end of it, I think there's just a lot of character, a lot of emotion, mm-hmm. and a lot of really good, like, choreography fight work. I just yeah. like the end of it specifically yeah. i think is my favorite and that even, even though it's also my least favorite because, because Qui-Gon like, dies yeah even but. that ty- like gives obi-wan a little arc in the movie because you know at the beginning he's like um i sent something and Qui-Gon's like keep your mind in the here and now and then he's like well master yoda says i should be mindful of the future and he's always like oh don't disobey the council master and he is much more of one of the stickler Jedis we kind of see, and he doesn't want to bring Anakin into it at all. He wants to stay focused on the mission. But um, then towards the end, he tells Yoda, he was like, I will train Anakin even if I don't have the council's approval. So, like, he even gets a little arc in there where he, you know, kind of walks in Qui-Gon's footsteps a little bit and 
becomes more like him, and he just learns from his death, and yeah, I, he just gets a nice little arc tied up in that. I can't tell if someone's drilling downstairs yeah, or I don't chainsawing know something downstairs. I uh, unbelievable. Man. People honestly. will understand. They'll yeah. they'll be fine. Hopefully, um, but yeah, we're about at an hour. Um, keep looking for episodes coming out in the future. Uh, we're gonna do, like I said at the beginning, a series mm-hmm. where we're just gonna break down our thoughts on the movies. Maybe at the end we'll do a ranking. Like at yeah. the end of the last episode, we'll say our ranking of all of the eleven movies. I doubt we're gonna do the Clone Wars movie just because eh, it's not that. That would be at the bottom just because the, yeah. it's it's like it's supposed to introduce you to the show and like the show starts off just kind of okay. So yeah. the movie is and just a conglomeration. That, that of wasn't a few even episodes. like a like a movie they it was just, just a few episodes it was a few episodes that they're like you know it would be cool to promote the show a movie so they just took a couple of episodes like the first couple of yeah. episodes of the show and made it into a movie and i mean you can tell like yeah things seem out of order and even in i mean clone wars has not been known for necessarily being in order but yeah for whatever reason yeah it's i don't know it just seems very disconnected and although like i I like watching it. Like, it's not painful to watch. It's just not... Just is not as good as, like, an actual Star Wars film, you know? All right. Well, I think that is about it for Mm -hmm. this episode. Uh, We hope that you've enjoyed our discussion of The Phantom Menace. We hope that you can go back and re-watch it and maybe get uh, some new insights or see it in a different Mm -hmm. light and maybe appreciate it more than you did previously uh i know i did last night watching yeah. it i think the last few times i've tried to watch phantom menace i'd get kind of bored um specifically like the pod race mm-hmm. area yeah, even course. though that's kind yeah. of an exciting scene just that general area mm-hmm. of the movie like it doesn't seem like much is yeah. going on but there's a lot of good dialogue in those scenes that i kind of was missing uh that i picked up on this time so, um, yeah, I'm sure there's something in there that you don't remember or that you never thought of in a certain way, and hopefully um, we can help you appreciate it in a different way. Any final thoughts? Um, I don't know. I jested right before we finished the movie. I was like, we should title this episode The Phantom Menace Better Than You Think? Question mark. And you know what? I would just like to say final thought. I... I did think it's better than a lot of people give it credit for, and it's better than I remember it. So mm-hmm. I'll leave you with that. I don't know if that's what we'll title it, but yeah, but it's a suggestion. You don't have to title it that. No. All right. The intro music to this podcast is Star Wars Cantina Band, closed on Sunday Lo-Fi Remix. This podcast is for entertainment only. All opinions are our own. Our opinions are not reflective of Disney, Lucasfilm, or any copyright or trademark holders. All characters, films, books, games, sounds, trademarks, or other items related to Star Wars are owned by Disney or other copyright or trademark holders. We do not own Star Wars or any related material.